0: You're listening to The Bcast, the official podcast of bplans.com. Each week, we discuss the latest news, resources, and advice for entrepreneurs and small business owners. I'm Jonathan Michael. And I'm Peter Thorson. This week, Peter and I debate whether you should stick to your plan or change it. Laura Galloway joins us to discuss niche marketing, and we all chat about the Internet of Things.
1: Jonathan, should you stick to the plan or should you change the plan. Why are we talking about that? What are, what are we doing here? Well, uh, Tim Barry posted an article this week uh, titled, Should You Stick to the Plan or Change It? It's a good title. On B-Plans. And so, uh, you know, this is a good one, I think. I, I actually, almost every day, I, I use this analogy of the uh, the sort of classic business plan being problematic in the sense that a lot of folks out there will create a plan, they'll put tons of time into a plan, they'll they'll pour over it, they'll think over every section, they'll create it often just once, mm-hmm. they'll you know print it nicely, and maybe they'll get a loan with it, maybe they'll start that business, maybe they'll get out there and finally be that entrepreneur they always wanted to be, but the plan goes in the drawer and occasionally maybe is referred to and, and it's kind of this worst case scenario, right? You, you should indeed revise the plan. And I think maybe the question here is how often, how frequently? So does Tim come to a conclusion on that? Maybe,
0: you know, I have an idea. How about this? Go. Let's not share what Tim's conclusion is just yet. Let's do a good old fashioned debate. You versus me. Which side do you want to take? Sticking okay. with the plan or changing it?
1: Well, I mean, I'll, I'll play uh, devil's advocate and stick to the uh, stick to the plan a little bit here, at okay. least at least for a while, you know, within reason. Okay. And I guess I'll take the other side, which is you
0: should revise your plan and not be afraid of it. Okay. Uh, before we do that, let me just look up these rules real quick about debates and okay. Um, yeah. How does a good old fashioned yeah, debate work? Uh, no personal insults. Um, well, it's just that your opinions are terrible. Uh, well, shut up. No. Oh. No. Oh. We're off to a good start. Podcast over. Uh-oh.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay. Uh,
1: now that we've got that on <clears throat> our system. Let's talk a little bit about staying the course. Now, okay. again, there's a big difference between understanding a plan, sticking to it, staying the course, keeping the ship on track, whatever kind of analogies you want to use there, mm-hmm. and not using the plan like I was talking about before. So using the plan as a way of knowing what your touchstones are in the future. That's that's hugely important. And I think Tim really summarizes it here great. Uh, It's better to have a mediocre strategy consistently applied over three or more years than a series of brilliant strategies each applied for six months or so. And I think we can all relate to that, right? We can all relate to the ever-evolving landscape that ever evolves so quickly that you have no footing you have no grounding and I think most importantly you you don't even know if the experiments you put out there into the world are validated or not. So that's a reason why you should stay the course? What how does staying the course help? Staying the course gets you to the point where you can get results from your experiments. It lets you ask big complicated questions and get to the end point and say this does work this doesn't work you know and at the end of the day these these complicated questions, these larger initiatives, these big ideas that take time and effort and and results to prove or disprove are what create great lasting business now Peter on the other hand though
0: Tim says there's no virtue in sticking with a plan for its own sake nobody wants the futility of trying to implement a flawed plan and that's true you know you you're innovating and if you've created a plan that just doesn't work what's the sense in sticking with it so not being afraid to take that plan off the shelf, not let it collect dust and say, "Yep, in this area we, you know, miscalculated some things. That was, you know, a wrong assumption." Not being afraid to fail, but to learn from that failure over and over again and revise as you go. I think that there's a lot of value to that.
1: A well-executed plan that you should stick to should have highs and lows. It should have adjustment factors built into it. It should have an understanding that some of the components within that larger plan are experiments, and the results of those experiments will drive the further stages of those uh, of those either marketing programs or business models or customer segments. So I think that that all works into the idea of sticking to a good plan.
0: Now, for my opinion, I think the two groups of people who seem to be the most resistant to revising or changing the plan are either those who, like you talked about, went through this whole process, created the plan, and then set it aside. Maybe because it was such an ordeal to create the plan, they felt like, okay, I answered all my questions, now I just gotta do it. And that's kind of like a new experience for them. And so they're afraid of, I just went through all of that. I can't change that. I've I've kind of set it in stone, it's there. And then the other group is people who have been around for quite a long time. They've already established a method and a way of success. And the idea of changing it is like, well, if it's not broken, don't fix you know, it. No, Those are
1: both great examples. They, they both represent a type of flawed thinking that I think people can fall into either by stress or comfort uh, or just a misunderstanding of what their own goals should be. That first group, the one that puts what I would call too much work mm-hmm. into the initial plan, that's a flawed approach because, as the the lean planning people would say, by the time you get through with a plan that's that complicated, the world has changed, behind, you know, underneath you. Right. So, yeah, you have to put in the minimum amount that is appropriate for the amount of planning that you need to do. How minimum? Well, that's, you know, where the lean planning comes in. That's where maybe the lean startup mode comes in. You know, Tim Barry, the author of this article, has a book coming out about lean planning. So we can, you know, post a link to that maybe. Mm-hmm. The second example was this one of the business that's up and running. Things are going basically good. Right. And so there's no real reason reason to either create a new plan or adjust you know it's almost a third case right mm-hmm. they're they're just staying the course and there isn't really a plan in place they're just staying the course with whatever the status quo is this is of course dangerous for a number of reasons but the primary reason is you are not ready for changes which will occur. Yeah. You haven't done the experiments, you don't understand where your market is coming from and going, you don't understand what changes are already happening if you're not participating in the conversation. And the conversation comes from, you know, running experiments with your audience. Testing new markets, understanding the dynamics of the current market that you are, you know, occupying. So this is this is where the uh, the sort of having a plan versus uh, revising the plan concept would come into play. And I do think there are a lot of businesses out there that are. Uh, complacent, maybe too much so, uh, in the business that they have. And of
0: course, the problem with that is, you know, before long, those things pass you by because you weren't
1: willing to test things out and revise what you were doing. So Jonathan, are, are you saying this kind of experimentation, this audience outreach, is the equivalent of this plan revision side of the argument that you're sticking to? I would say testing, constantly testing, looking at
0: the results gives you the ability to, with some science and with some precision,
1: make decisions about what you should and can change. I think maybe we could agree to this. Maybe Maybe we could close this debate with the following concept. If your plan is so rigid that straying from it seems like a diversion and you don't have any flexibility and in fact you're kind of stuck with it, Mm -hmm. then maybe your plan isn't the best type of plan for your company. But if you don't have enough direction that your plan can't extend three months into the future, six months into the future, then maybe you need to take a step up a level, go a meta level higher and start thinking about the plans for your business at that level. And then third, I think the one that we don't address in this article, if your plan is get more of the same or increase my sales by getting more customers in my door, I don't know how I'm going to do it and I just hope they come, Mm -hmm. then we really need to recommend that you are looking at something more holistic, more plan-oriented, and that does let you sort of take advantage of some of both the lean planning philosophy and the idea of having something that you can use as a touchstone over time, like a financial plan a financial forecast that kind of thing in place okay i think that sounds like i won then I think we both win. Oh, we both win. I like that outcome. We'll just forward the win to Tim Barry, author of this week's uh, focused article. So let's ask our listeners: If you've got a business plan in place, have you been sticking to it over the last three, six, nine, twelve months? Do you feel like you're constantly changing it? Do you feel like it it can't do without a revision every few uh, every few months out there? What's What's your story, and how's it working out for you? You can email us bcast at bplans
0: or if you want to send us a tweet at B Plans, Just use the hashtag bcast and we'll see that. All right. Well, we're excited. Today we have Laura Galloway, an author, speaker, and business coach uh, here with us to talk about niche marketing. So hi, Laura. Welcome. Uh, thanks for joining us. And can you tell us more about yourself? Wait a second. Is it Lara or
1: Laura? You just said both. Did I say both? Lara, Laura. To Lara, Laura, Laura.
2: It's a little ambiguous. So all the way you can always remember it is just Lara rhymes with star, uh. There you go.
1: Star, uh. I, I put the end, uh, uh, at the end of most sentences, so that's easy for me. So thanks for joining us, Stara. Stara. Uh, no. Um, okay. It's like Lost Boys. That's right.
2: Love it. Love it. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me, guys. Um, so yeah, a little bit about me. I am a mom of three, a wife and an entrepreneur who started coaching other business owners how to be successful and have a pretty awesome life. Um, about 2005 is when I started doing that. And my business has just kind of continued and grown and grown and grown over the years. And I finally pulled it together. And um, started offering do-it-yourself coaching through a book I just published called Moms Mean Business, A Guide to Creating a Successful Company and a Happy Life as a Mom Entrepreneur. And the joke, guys, is always if you can get past the word mom in the title, if you're man enough for that, there's some really golden gems in there for people who aren't women. So there you go. <laughs> Jonathan so. and
1: I will test our manhood during this podcast for the. Uh, I enjoyment. threw down
2: the gauntlet. You've got to, That's right? right?
1: Absolutely. So we wanted to talk a little bit about this idea of niche marketing, niche businesses. But why don't we just start with when I say niche, I mean, I know what that means in the real world, but really in this business sense, what do I mean when I say niche marketing, niche products, that kind of thing? And and I guess what do we mean when we're talking about it today?
2: Well, my, you know, my Canadian friends roll over dead every single time I say niche. They're like, it's not it does not rhyme with itch. It's a niche market. (laughs) They get mad at me and correct me. Um,
1: That's going to help our international audience. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, they'll
2: know where they stand with us. Right. So. Um, To me, what that means and what I talk about with my clients all the time is really knowing what you sell and to whom. And if we, you know, everybody who's in business for themselves wants to believe that their stuff could be bought by anybody and everybody. But of course, the huge challenge is that there's not a single person out there that would raise their hand when you said, who is anybody or who is everybody? None of us identify ourselves that way. And niche marketing is the beauty of being able to help your ideal customer, your target audience, know that you're talking specifically to them and that your products and solutions are tailored to solve their problems.
0: So when it comes to small business owners and entrepreneurs, um, you've obviously kind of carved out a niche uh, with moms and mom business owners. Uh, How do you go about picking a niche?
2: One of the things I tell my clients is, you know, let's, let's base it on one of these things. Number one, let it be a target market that you are already a part of. So for me, the moms thing, easy. Um, I was a business coach again, easy. So I'm a business coach for moms. And oh, by the way, there was nobody out there telling me how I could successfully run a business without having to sacrifice every other priority I have in my life to make it successful as an entrepreneur. So, the business coaching side of things became that real, you know, sub niche general fo- or specific focus for me. So, I would say, first of all, you know, pick something maybe you're already a part of that target demographic and you already have that need that you're going to be providing the solution for. If not that, then take a look at your past experience and your current network, your community, either geographically or Maybe you're very well known um, on social media, or maybe you're very well known in your industry or from a past job experience, and see if what you're choosing can leverage both the contacts that you have there as well as the experience, so people will see you as an expert sooner rather than later. Let me ask you
1: this. When we are talking about this niche, this this smaller, this segment uh, of the larger population, why would I want to not market to the largest possible group? If I'm Nike and I want to make shoes that people want to wear, why don't I just say my shoes are for everyone? What's, what's the benefit of shrinking down my potential you know, readership, buyership, mm-hmm. customership?
2: You know, you simply as a small business owner, entrepreneur do not, and I, I really don't care, I don't have to assess it much, I'm gonna say this pretty boldly, you don't have the resources to garner the market that Nike does. Period. So for us, small business owners, for entrepreneurs who do and even if you do have great first, you know, venture capital, great angel investors, great funding for marketing, for you to spend the amount of money it would take for you to reach an audience as ubiquitously as Nike can, is just an outrageous amount of dollars. So instead, Like If you can understand the idea of being a big fish in a small pond, that is where you get leverage. So perhaps you can't appeal to every single person who, like Nike, maybe they started off just appealing to athletes. Maybe after that, they went for, um you know, athletes and the people who want to be athletes. Well, by now, Nike's in every household. I don't care if you've never put on a pair of gym shoes in your life you know you probably own something made by nike at this point but what nike probably started out as and i and i don't know this isn't a great case study so don't quote me <laughs> um, but what nike started out as probably had a bit more of a specific focus and that's what i always invite my my clients to do and it's certainly what we did with our book i mean people say all the time well why don't you just call it you know entrepreneurs mean business or women mean business that's a lot bigger pond you know, of people when, and you're really limiting yourself when you say, you know, moms mean business and it's all about mom entrepreneurs. And it's like, well, you know, I'm competing to be the biggest fish in that pond. And once I'm the biggest fish in that pond and I become a household name, I become known and recognized and trustworthy to that group, then guess what? I get some really great leverage and I'm able to spring out of that pond and I start working with men or I start working with women executives, or I start working with people who train small business companies, right? So there are so many different possibilities once you really secure your footing and build a strong foundation in a smaller pond by being that big fish and really getting known as a household name there first.
1: Yeah, Fantastic. So it sounds like this defining this niche Helps that small business owner really stay focused, which is a thing that we love to encourage. That that idea of staying focused on on the goals that you can set, the goals you can achieve, and it also sounds like there's a little overlap here between uh, a popular article on Bplans.com called uh, "Tam Sam Som," where you know this idea of defining the total addressable market. You know in Nike's case, everyone with feet. Uh, And then the segmented addressable market, people with athletic interests, like you said. But then there's also the third component, which is the share of market. And it sounds like that's really where the niche comes in, in those last two steps, where you're defining that funnel and saying, "Okay, well, I'm not going to I'm not going to reach everyone in the world with feet. We're only going to get people with athletic interests, but we're also only going to get five, 10 percent of them. And like you said, then dominate that smaller sphere, uh, because that's still quite a lot of people.
2: It is. And, and you made up, oh, I love, I can't wait to read that article. I love the acronyms. It's so memorable. Um, so I love the idea that, you know, you're talking, we're talking both about narrowing the audience, but also there's the other piece of it that maybe you just start out with shoes. But, you know, as of right now, I think both of my kids are wearing t-shirts that have Nike on it. And I wore a hat this morning that had the Nike swoosh, right? So. You can also, once you dominate whatever product line or whatever market you've gone after, once you've built that up, you can also pivot in another way and add on more lines of business in your, in your business plan. So absolutely. It's such a great. It's such a great way to say, like, look at which segment, both a segment of people and a segment of the market and a segment of the products that you can eventually offer. It's
1: interesting, yeah. And I guess, how do you, you know, when you sort of become a, an expert in a niche, uh, you know, this idea of people knowing and trusting your expertise in that area? I have a problem where I am generally unlikable deeply. <laughs> Is that right? That's what Jonathan tells me most days. Yeah. So if I were to go out and say, hi, People who should know and trust me. I might have a problem, and it might take about a year to figure that out, or or thirty. Uh, so, you know, how do how do we know whether your expertise is is sticking? How do you know whether folks are really picking up on on what you're laying down out there?
2: Yeah, you know, one of the things again about being you know focusing on niche marketing and really getting that focus, that narrowly defined group, and becoming a big fish in a small pond is about really cultivating the know, like, and trust factor with your audience. One thing, you know, that we, like, as I said before, we can't compete, we small business owners cannot compete with ginormous brands like Nike when it comes to marketing dollars. But where one place we can compete is in the personal, likable, knowable, trustable arena. You can actually do a great job, um, you know, Peter, maybe Maybe there's something we should discuss, or maybe you just need to find new friends if Jonathan tells you you're not very likable. Um,
1: it's a hard room here. <laughs> I guess so.
2: Um, but you know, if, if you are showing up in person and online in a way that lets people get to know a little bit about you, that is absolutely relevant and on target with your branding, right? So you're a, you're at B plans, you're a business professional. So, You got to have a bit of that in there, but you also need to have something that is going to help your people know that you can understand them and trust them. And if your posts on social media, if your, you know, uh, meetups that you host in town, if your workshops, your seminars, your articles that you write, if all of those reflect a bit of your professionalism, your, you know, relating the type stuff that you're an expert at but also a bit of your personal side so people can go, yeah, I kind of like that guy. He's, he, you know what, he's kind of hard to like, but I do trust him because what he says is right on, you know, and so like people can develop relationships with you based on how you show up. And when you are a smaller brand, you can absolutely put a face and a personality to your brand in a way that big companies can't do. So there could be some, you know, I know uh, some women that make little tiny leather baby slipper shoes and such. They cannot compete with Nike. But let me tell you, their customers love them and they love marketing. They've got like this crazy volunteer marketing army going for them because they're making these little tiny shoes and they're blogging about it all the time and they're showing up at all the fairs and people get to hold them and touch them and try them out and they love them. So I think that's one of the best ways we compete we can compete is by being small and being personable and being honest so that our, our clients can really relate to us.
0: Excellent. So Lara, great to have you on here. Um, just for our listeners, where can they find more of your work?
2: Oh, I'd love them to connect with me on social media. You can find me all over the place at mombizcoach, that's M-O-M-B-I-Z-C-O-A-C-H, So that's my website, mombizcoach.com. It's my Twitter handle. It's my Facebook page. It's my podcast on Blog Talk Radio, my YouTube, my Instagram. (laughs) It's all over there.
0: So you've got the branding down.
2: Thank you.
1: So, Lara, sounds like Star, I had a good point about finding new friends. I think that's uh, that's an excellent transition to uh, some friends I've been making around the house. Uh, Robots, computers, and uh, and all my appliances, really, these days. Oh, yeah.
0: Um, Peter, those aren't your friends, but that sounds like it's a conversation for maybe another podcast or maybe just after this is done
1: no i'd suggest that uh you know my house is becoming friendlier uh as as things evolve uh more devices more uh ways of interfacing with it i can i can check what music's playing in my living room from uh, from right here if i needed to so really uh you know what i think what we're kind of talking about here what we're transitioning seamlessly to is the topic of the internet of things and jonathan what what things uh, are connected in your house and and what do you know about this thing so I've seen that
0: phrase used around, but I've never really dug into what it actually means. So do you want to kind of share with our listeners who might be in the same place that I am? Is, what's that phrase mean? Maybe
1: we're familiar with the actuality of it, but what are we talking about? Certainly. Well, Webster's Dictionary defines it. <laughs> <laughs> so this, this whole movement has been around, uh, I think the things that people would recognize the most uh, are things like the Nest uh, which is like an intelligent thermostat for the house. Uh, they also make a smoke detector uh, that is intelligent. These uh, distributed sound systems, Sonos, uh, distributed lighting systems, door locks that you can activate from your phone or mobile. Uh, really, the, the broader sense is that this your house is full of things, and the Internet of Things really asks the question, can all these things be connected to each other? What benefit do humans get from that? and how can they communicate to each other? So it's really almost at a sci-fi level. Uh, but I think it's important for our, our listeners to know about this, because frankly, it's happening. It's happening now. This isn't just theory. This is products that are rolling out right now as we speak. And Lara, while you're
0: here with us, you know, what do you think about the internet of things?
2: You know, it's it's funny. I was thinking about this. It's like the way I would describe it is, you know, your smartphone is connected to your air conditioner is is connected to your smartwatch, is connected to your smart car, right? Like we used to just call it smart stuff. And now it's like the whole internet, the whole network of interconnectedness that makes things smarter, makes them more intelligent and capable of working together and ultimately saving us efficiency, steps, you know, energy, money, time, all that kind of stuff. I I think it's cool. I definitely think it's coming. It's the way to go. I think you know, I, I watch things like how the Fitbit or the Apple Watch have totally gotten some really sedentary people I know in the world moving and accountable for their activity and really, truly interesting, interested in tracking so much about what they eat and how they sleep and how they move each day. And I think, wow, there's so much benefit to that. And they upload it and then they Tie it into their, you know, smart meal plan and, you know, the Samsung refrigerator can tell you that you're running low on milk and and almond milk and all of your protein shakes and whatever you need. I mean, it's like it, it makes great sense in order to, you know, to be more efficient and to not have to remember to order toilet paper like, oh, yeah, it's low. Great. You know, just order it. Get it handled why do we waste our time on things that we don't have to? And I'm a huge fan of saving time, because that's the thing we can never get more of, right? But I know when I start talking like this, you know, my husband, for instance, you know, he's all more, he's very much more conservative than I am about, you know, putting out things that, you know, can take our privacy away, right? Like, He doesn't want us, you know, connecting every one of our, you know, credit cards and bank accounts and whatever for mobile banking. And it's so easy to do. He doesn't want us to do that because he really wants to be mindful about hackers and think, well, if I connect all of these systems together, then really one little password gets you in and you can wreak havoc in a big way. And so I think that's what the resistance you always get with stuff like this is, well, yeah, it's helpful. But what about hackers? Or what about advertisers? Or what about people who want, like, you know, if, if employers have ability to tap into my Fitbit and see when I'm being more productive here or there, or how I spent my time, you know, is that going to impact, you know, whether I get a raise or if they, you know, give me better insurance or whatever kind of stuff like that. It, it's a real concern. And I get that.
0: I'm really excited about all of the possibilities. And each time I see a new innovation about it, it's really cool, oh, I didn't even realize that that could be you know, connected, and wow, that's really awesome. But I think we're proceeding without caution, if I can be so bold as to say that. And the reason why I say that, maybe I'm, I'm biased, but uh, I read a little while ago, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the Wait But Why website, uh, long in-depth articles about some really interesting topics but they have a two part series on artificial intelligence it paints a picture that you could say is either grim or optimistic Mm -hmm. and I think the lack of caution that we're proceeding with connecting everything and doing it just because it's cool um, gets us a lot closer to that grim future so you're scared of robots I'm terrified of them yes
1: Uh, yeah it's good, Laura. How, how scared of you are, are? Are you of robots?
2: I'm not that scared. Um. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, Jonathan, great discussion. But this is a small business podcast. How can these small business owners out there start to use either the Internet of Things or the knowledge of the Internet of Things to uh, to benefit their small business? That's a great question. Actually, I'm going to pass pass it right back to you and ask, what are your thoughts on it? That's great, Jonathan. Yeah. Thank mm-hmm. you. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Well, Laura, let's start with you. What's 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 one tip? And I'm, I'm going to think of just, mine while you're talking.
2: Just pass the buck, no problem. Okay, well, while you guys figured that out, I did have a little thought. And, um, you know, I guess it's going to be, you know what we see with small business owners is we see entrepreneurs who grow really fast when they very clearly find an opportunity, a problem, um, a challenge, a gap in the existing market. And then they come up with something that very nimbly uh, fills that gap. So I can see with the companies that are studying, with the high tech companies that are studying all these trends and watching what's happening, we're going to keep seeing a lot more apps that are these, you know, maybe, I mean, when you talk about a niche, honestly, as we've been doing today, is there anything that better defines a niche than app development? Honestly, right? Like, You get a game that only flings birds out of a nest and makes them blow things up. I mean, like they're, they're so basic in what they offer. And I think entrepreneurs, small business owners have been able to really jump into the market in the tech arena because all they have to do is focus on a very smart, but smaller scale idea that bridges a gap or makes a connection or fills in a hole in what's currently already a market. Like so many small business, so many small um, apps do that have been developed and, you know, gone, gone really big on the market. So I think we're just going to see a lot more of that. And I think there's a huge opportunity for play for small businesses because they are able to really stay abreast of industry, industry trends and they are really able to meet the need very quickly in a way that a lot of biz- big businesses can't.
1: I think the niche component is really a key thing there and I think that's going to be my takeaway point. I uh, started beekeeping recently. <laughs> and uh, one of the things was I installed a small Android Arduino component in there with a couple of sensors, and it connects...
2: My son does Arduino stuff. That is so cool. There you go. We
1: should tell him about opensourcebeekeeping.net. So the uh, the the idea here is that this little device takes a couple of measurements and connects to my Wi-Fi. It not only lets me know how my beehive is doing, but it lets a undefined network know how the state of Oregon is doing, how the United States is doing, this kind of thing. So it's a fascinating little piece of project, but the tip is, this is a thing that could be developed by Lara's son. Uh, and installed by a niche market like me. And I think there is tons of open-ended potential here for the small business to either modify what they're currently offering and think about it, how it fits into this new thing that is really happening and is happening now, uh, or to develop new uh, innovative uh, approach to how they do their normal business as it applies to this market. I think the takeaway here is this is happening. Is that right, Jonathan? It's it's happening. happening, yeah. We can't stop it.
0: So yeah, why don't you go ahead and email us bcast at bplans.com or send us a tweet at bplans and tell us what you think of the internet of things. What's the coolest device you've seen connected? Uh, What's an idea that you might have for something that should be connected? Um, And yeah, you can loop in at mombizcoach into the conversation as well. I'm sure she'd love to hear your
1: thoughts. Yeah, Laura, if people have questions about niche marketing, who do you want to hear from and when?
2: Oh, I, I want to hear from people who totally believe they do not need to have a niche market and believe that their target audience is everybody who has money. Please call me. I will help you. You need my help. It would be awesome to chat. You can email me, Lara. that's L-A-R-A, at mombizcoach.com, or find me on the social platforms, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, whatever, and also on my website, laragalloway.com, that's L-A-R-A. G-A-L-L-O-W-A-Y.com.
0: All right. Thanks for joining us.
2: Thanks, guys. It was fun.
0: If you have a question you'd like us to answer on the show, send us an email at bcast at bplans.com. That's bcast at bplans.com. Our theme music is by Jasinski. The Bcast is brought to you by Palo Alto Software, makers of bplans.com and LivePlan. Visit vplans.com for everything you need to start planning and growing your business.
1: A plan to change? Is it change the plan? I say change. Change that. Change your attitude, mister. Change it. (laughs) Change clothes. Cool.